spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week it is definitely Shields Up on episode 264 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Can't wait to sit down with the cast and producers of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 6, debuting tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday anyway, on ABC. It feels like it's been forever since we've had new episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. Can't wait to see what the fallout is, what's going on with Coulson. We'll talk about that. The new director and a whole bunch more. We're brought to you again this week, once again, by Audible. Can't wait to tell you the great deals that we have for you from Audible this week. Going to be talking about the Tolkien movie when we went to a screening this week. Going to talk about that. And of course, Lucifer season four. There's so much to do, but you know, we always start out with the comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This writer, Christopher Sabella, you're listening to the Down Nerdy Podcast. Doesn't matter whether you're reading on the laptop, the tablet, or if you're pulling the books out of the long box, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And this is a book title, anyway, that takes me right back to my childhood and some of the first comics I ever, ever owned. It's Batman and the Outsiders, number one from DC, written by Brian Hill. Dexter Soy doing the art, Veronica Gandini on the colors, Clayton Cowles. On the letters, Tyler Kirkham and Arif Prianto on the cover. Now, Batman's really breaking in a new team of outsiders here. I say new team. These are names you're going to remember, like The Signal. You've got Orphan, Katana, Black Lightning. These are names that you are absolutely familiar with if you've read almost any recent or past DC Comics, for that matter. Now, Signal kind of feels like he could be the leader, I think. He really has that gung-ho attitude, but maybe not necessarily in a good way. Black Lightning's a clear front-runner here, though. I think, and I think that anybody who reads this book would know that he is the leader of this team, without a doubt. Now, like any new team, there are some bumps along the way. I mean, everybody kind of seems to be dealing with some personal issues right now, and especially for Signal. I mean, if you've been reading Detective Comics, you know what's going on there. And, you know, and and with, with Orphan... You know, she's kind of a she's kind of a wild card a little bit too. You never really know what you're going to get from her and Katana. Well, I mean, that's you really never know what's going to be going on with her, but they're going to have to really get it together pretty quickly because apparently someone Batman put in protective custody years ago has turned up dead and his daughter is now missing and that's where the the real main part of the story really starts here. Now, this daughter has abilities. That much I can tell you. And we do get to see that play out. In this issue, we also get to see the daughter herself has her own plan, and a very interesting encounter would stem one here at the end of the story. Of course, not spoiling this book for you, but it's very interesting because I kind of felt like how I did a little bit, and I'm not going to overstate this, so don't you know? Don't say that I'm comparing it to this, okay? But I kind of got a little bit of a vibe of how when we first met Jessica Cruz in the Forever Evil arc years ago. I'm not saying that this daughter's going to turn out to be Jessica Cruz or anything like that or even close to that popularity. All I'm saying is is that different storyline, 
different origin absolutely than Jessica Cruz. But vibe-wise, that's how I felt like, you know, all of a sudden, here's this woman we're being introduced to in the DC Universe under tragic circumstances. And now all of a sudden, and she's going to walk a different path than Jessica does. And maybe she ends up being a character we know for years to come. Maybe it's just part of the story. But I'm very interested to see what her story is going to be going forward. In in such a short sample size, I think that's a pretty good testament to the writing team here. Now, I am ashamed to say that I was not very familiar with Dexter Soy's work before. But boy, did I get a great introduction in this book. Loved every second of it, every panel. Actually, it reminded me a lot of Jason Fabok's work. And that's, you know, one of the best compliments that I can give. I've talked glowingly about Jason's work on this show many, many times. So, I mean, take that as a huge compliment. Now, you can really feel the uneasiness in this team dynamic, especially early on. And I think it really plays well here. And I also really like putting Black Lightning in that reluctant leader role. And we get to get inside his head. A little bit because, I mean, we've seen him lead his own daughters, of course, but, you know, as far as leading a team, we've never really gotten gotten to see him do that a whole lot. So I really hope we get to see that grow a little bit and see the team grow with him. And I think that they're actually going to get things together a little bit quickly than expected. This is a pull for me. I wanted to love this book because I just have very fond memories of Batman and the Outsiders books from when I was younger. And this one does not disappoint. Brian Hill killing it once again with Batman and the Outsiders. Here's another one I thought was going to be really interesting this week, and that's Excellence Number 1 from Skybound and Image Comics. Brandon Thomas is the writer and co-creator with Carrie Randolph, the artist as well. Emilio Lopez on the colors and Darren Bennett on the letters. Now, the story follows the Dales family who are a legacy in the world of magic. And you'll see in the book that there's all these different tiers and there's rules to the to the engagement of magic per se and there's also certain things that you have to do now we specifically follow the story of the son spencer who grows up with a father who's very well known in this community and is actually a member of the elders his family is a legacy this is something that's been passed down from generation to generation now he's not shown the natural ability meaning spencer for magic that the other kids do at a certain age now you can imagine how that goes with his family, and then that pressure comes in, and dad starts to get uneasy, and he grows up dealing with this for most of his life, and I'll fast forward for you when he finally takes his assignment with Aegis. Now, it's, you know, you've heard that name before, it's not necessarily connected, so don't jump out of your chair there, but that's just what this organization is calling themselves. Now, we get to see how much of a wild card he's going to be, and maybe even break the mold. A little bit. And I like that because it's almost like, hey, this is how we've been doing it for like, it's what seems like centuries. There's no actual amount of time that they say how long this organization has been around. But you get the feeling that it's been a pretty long time. And you kind of feel like, okay, here's the one that's going to come along and change things, either for the better or not. And that's part of the fun of a story like this, right? Now, something big happens at the end, or towards the end of this book, I should say. They could lead to a choice that would really impact their entire family. And now, remember this family's legacy, and they're pretty high up on the rung in this organization. So this would be a huge risk that gets taken should that actually happen. And, I, man, I do not want to spoil this for you because 
it really was a pretty darn good story that was accelerated in a way that made sense and didn't feel like it was going too quickly, which I I was a little bit worried about when I first saw how quickly the book was moving. I'm like, oh, so that's why they're doing it. We had to get here. Okay, and definitely had to get here in the first issue too, by the way. The art in this book was pretty darn solid too, as a matter of fact. You could almost feel the movements and the emotions were just so raw on the faces of all the characters in just the right moments. In a magical book, you have to have the colors pop. And Emilio Lopez absolutely succeeded in that. You're drawing my eye to these events that my eye needs to be drawn to. So having a good colorist is key in a book like this. It is a coming-of-age story, and yes, there are some father-son tropes in there, but I like to go with my gut when I read books, especially a new book for the first time, especially something that's not necessarily a licensed property as a creator-owned thing. It just feels like there's a different angle at play here that we're about to see in this next issue. I've just, I feel in my gut and in my bones that excellence is really on to something fresh and new here. So I'm going to put this in my poll box as well. This is another poll for me because I really feel like they've got something here. And I'm invested in this family already and I want to see how what Spencer does actually affects the storyline going forward or doesn't do. And then where does the path lead them then? And how does dad play into all this? And how is he going to feel based on what Spencer does too. So there's a couple of really good books this week you want to add to your poll. Excellence number one from Skybound and Batman and the Outsiders from DC. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, going to be talking about Lucifer's Season 4. Spoilers abound. Coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hello, this is Tom Ellis, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Maybe one of the biggest campaigns to save a show ever is finally here. That's right, Save Lucifer leads us to... Lucifer Season 4 on Netflix. I know you've been waiting forever. It is finally here. You probably already binged the whole thing. I want to cover at least, I I will at least give spoilers for the first half of the season. So this is going to be kind of a half spoiler filled, half not spoiler filled review. Because I mean the show just did drop this past week. Of course if you're listening to this on a Friday when the shows come out, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to spoil the entire season for you if you've had a chance to watch it. I mean, I know that I've got kids too. Maybe you had to wait for the weekend to watch it. I'm not going to be the guy that spoils it for you. So I will spoil the first part of the season, though, because I feel like I kind of have to in order to talk about it. So here's the deal. Uh, Just in general, right here at the beginning, if you were a Lucifer fan already, This is the show that you remember. I know that there's always a little bit of a worry there. You know, it's moving to a different network. You've got somewhat different people calling the shots that things might change. And there are a couple things that did, but I want to talk about that for a second. This show, tonally, is exactly how you remember it. The characters are the way that you remember them, albeit there's some development there and there are some changes within these characters. Don't get me wrong, they're not the same exact people that they were when we saw them in Season 3, and how could they be after the way Season 3 ended? What I mean is is that everything you loved about the show up to this point, it's there. All of it's there. Lucifer's mannerisms, how he is with Chloe on cases, the fact that you are going to get cases in each episode that is still happening you know you, you've got different dynamics with Maze and, and Dr. Linda and Amenadiel all of that that you loved before that's all there those relationships are still there the core of what you loved about the show is there so that's something if you haven't watched an episode of it yet 
you will absolutely be okay with that. That that part has not changed at all. What has changed is how the show looks. To me, I don't know if it's just me or what. It just looks better. It looks crisper. It looks cleaner. It looks like it's shot a little bit better. It's visually just a tad bit more more appealing. And maybe that's not something that you might that's not something you either might not care about or might not notice. I noticed it and I actually thought, especially for this season, that it just really, really worked for me. It was just a little bit more vibrant, especially in that opening scene where Tom's playing creep on the piano, which what what a hell of a way to start that off. And speaking of which, you're on they're on Netflix now, so you think, oh, the nudity's gonna be ramped up and and we're gonna get some more, you know, the 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 language is gonna go up, we're gonna get some F bombs dropped here. That doesn't really happen. I mean, we get to see Tom's L ass a little bit. Don't roll your eyes. You were thinking the same thing. I'm, I'm, I know that you were thinking that too. We get to see that in the first episode, and, and there is still some of that here and there. And the language gets ramped up a little bit. Even the violence, at one point, like when that dude, when there was that scene. I think it was in episode five, when they're they're trapped in Lux, and it's kind of a hostage situation. The woman comes in. And she was the wife that the guy was trying to see to, to apologize to. And she turns out she was behind the whole thing. Anyway, basically, she, he's, she stabbed him, right? And he's laying there, knife in his, in his chest and in his stomach area. And she just, at one point, steps on the knife, right? And I'm thinking, that's hardcore. And that's not something we would have seen on Fox, for sure. So ramping that, and that's just a small thing. There's a couple of other things as well. But that was a small moment where I went, yeah, that's a little bit of a difference too. But it feels like the, the it felt like you know the restrictor bolt was kind of off the show for a lot of these, especially opening episodes. It just felt like yeah, the show tonally was exactly how you remember. But it was like there was a freedom there with it's, it's like when you get a free life in a video game, right? That's part of it too, where where this this wasn't going to happen, and now that we've been given this, and the show feels that too, is that. Well, now we're just going to give the fans what they want. And we're going to tell this just the story that we think is going to be all for the fans of this show and and to hell with everything else. This is what we're going to do. And they were given the freedom to do that. And that's exactly how this fourth season felt. It was like, you know, this one's for the fans, not fan service. This one is for the fans. That's just really how it felt. And then you bring in... Graham McTavish, which do I have to hate Graham McTavish and everything? Father McKinley is such a great character, and he's not a complete part of this whole season, but ultimately ends up being a part of what happens towards the latter part of these episodes. So you will get a break from that storyline. If you're watching the first couple of episodes, there will be a little little bit of a break from you seeing Father McKinley, and there will be a reason for that, which I will not spoil. But it's because you have to deal with the Chloe and Lucifer thing and her seeing his devil face and all that. We have to deal with that. And they actually, they deal with that pretty well. And it's pretty destructive at times too. There's times where you think Chloe's handling it. Then you, then you find out she's working with father McKinley to actually ban Lucifer back to hell, banish him back to hell. Then she gets, she has a change of heart and, and ultimately ends up leading to father McKinley being arrested when he does something pretty stupid or strategic. You'll have to find that out when the season gets a little bit later on. But So that whole back and forth, you have to deal with that. And then ultimately, Chloe, she figures out, you know, she just can't accept him for who he is. And that's a dark moment in this season because Lucifer, who is the ultra-confident, or at least portrays that, 
finds out that the one woman that he wants to be with can't accept him, really accept him for who he really is. And if you've ever felt that in your life, that is a punch to the gut that is really hard to come back from. As a matter of fact, we get to see that play out with Lucifer, and it's pretty brilliant throughout the season, if I'm being honest, and in the first couple of episodes where they deal with that. And you can, and we've seen him self-destruct before, and this kind of, do, and it does kind of happen to a certain degree. But then you get to see the entrance of Eve, and we really get to see a, a lot more about Eve in episode four of the season. And Inbar Lavi, first of all, is gorgeous, absolutely stunning, and fits in so well with this cast. And the way she explains why Eve is on Earth is basically she got bored with things being perfect all of the time. And she wanted to get out of heaven because she kind of had enough. She points out, and it's interesting to note, that she's been, she is the one human who has been in heaven the longest. That's crazy to think, isn't it? But it's absolutely true. She is the one that's been in heaven the longest. And she hears all this, these stories about how great things are on earth by the people that are coming up to heaven. She's like, well, why am I not down there and I'm up here? And then you find out about the relationship that he and she and Lucifer had for the longest time. And it turns out she's held that flame for thousands of years. So she comes back and wants to be with Lucifer. But Lucifer's in this situation where he's not sure what's going on with Chloe. But then he, when he thinks it's not going to happen, he starts to gravitate towards Eve because he's still, you know, he's there's still a connection there. And then he gets closure with Chloe at one point. So then he, you know, he and Eve are now together. And remember, the, before you get upset, I mean, think about it. Chloe was with Pierce for a little bit. There was still a, you know, what was going to be going on with, with her and Dan possibly at some point. And it's not like Chloe hasn't had other relationships. So we got to cut loose for a little bit of a break here. The guy deserves to be happy too, right? I know I want him to be with Chloe too, but I mean, what are you going to do if this, if it's not really working, then, then what are you going to do? And that's just the first part of the season. And yet I'm not going to spoil the latter part of the season. I'm not going to tell you how it turns out because maybe you might not be finished with it yet. So I'm not going to tell you how it turns out, but it is very uncomfortable. It's very awkward. Sometimes maddening. If you're, if you've been a fan of the show and if you're, you're, you're definitely team Lucifer and Chloe, then, then yeah, you're going to be upset. A little bit of what's going on. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but there's you, you still get the quirky moments between the two of them working on cases. So don't worry about that. You still absolutely get that. You still get plenty of moments of Lucifer being Lucifer and Tom Ellis being absolutely brilliant as Lucifer. As always, nothing has changed with that. The thing that's changed the biggest, I think, in this season is Dr. Linda and Amenadiel. Because guess what? A minute, first of all, Amenadiel's decided he's staying on Earth because this is where he belongs. Long story short, he realized when he was up there in the Silver City that, you know, he made a life on Earth and this is where he's meant to be. So he's decided, okay, I'm coming back to Earth and this is what I'm going to do. And, and that was a good call because apparently Dr. Linda is pregnant with Amenadiel's child. And she's freaking out. Why wouldn't you? You're, you've got an angel baby the first one ever, as it turns out, and you are the one that is carrying this angel baby and you have no idea what to expect. As a first-time mother, you automatically don't really know what to expect. Then throw that factor in, and that just ramps it up even more. And then Amenadiel, of course, has no idea how to be a father. He has no idea what he's going to do either, But and he kind of goes back and forth on 
being excited about it, and he's all in, and she's not sure she's all in for this whole thing, and she's not sure that, you know, she actually turns down a proposal from him at one point. Dr. Linda doesn't know really how to handle this too well, but it seems like as the episodes go on, they're starting to make it work, right? They're starting to figure it out. And then one thing that I love, because Maze decides to move out of Chloe's place, so now she's going to move in with Dr. Linda and Amenadiel. You want to talk about some crazy, awkward moments, and Maze is great for those, isn't she? Just interjecting herself into a situation where, you know, she it's not that she doesn't belong there, but it's, it gets awkward, especially since, you know, they had a relationship, Maze and Amenadiel, and they've all come to terms with the fact that it's Dr. Linda and Amenadiel together now. They've come to terms with that, so don't get me wrong there. But, the th- man, the thing is, is that it's just going to be really interesting, them living together. That's all I'm going to say about that. I, I will not, I'm not going to spoil anything beyond that. The, the other kind of interesting part of all this is that after everything that happened in season three, you've got Ella, ultra, ultra positive Ella, ultra religious Ella has lost her faith. She's, she's just, she's, her and the big guy are not getting along right now, as she would say. And it's kind of sad at, at times. I mean, Ella's still Ella. She still does her thing. But it's sad at times to see her, you know, at one point she actually takes the cross off of her neck, right? And puts it down. And you're like, wow, that's a that's a big moment for her. And, the, and, and I felt conflicted there. I'm like, I don't know how to feel about that. And then when she meets Eve and they get along and they, and, 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 and she actually gets, she takes a little bit of Molly there. And I, I definitely don't, no, you know, don't use drugs, kids. Absolutely don't. But the scene where... Where Ella is drugged up is pretty is pretty hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. She actually ends up kissing Eve at one point, which is pretty which is pretty insane. And I won't spoil the circumstances around that though. How about that? I I, I will not do that to you. I'll let you figure out how that goes on your own. But I mean, it, it is still kind of sad to see what happens with Ella. And Lucifer tries to tell her the truth too, by the way. And, and again, just like everybody else, they don't really buy it. I mean, it's not like Ella's always been on the righteous path. I mean, she did boost cars at one point. We You forget about that a little bit. But, I mean, she's really seemed to have lost her way. I won't tell you if or how she finds her way back on that path. But I will say that she, that that's an arc of this season that I think is kind of going a little bit unnoticed by a, a lot of fans, too. And that's something that I've really been focusing on because I've always loved Ella's character. And I think that Amy Garcia is doing a fantastic job as always, and playing a little bit of a different role for her this season. You can understand why she'd be jaded after everything that happened last season. I mean, Dan feels the same way. He's really, really not doing well with what happened with Charlotte. I mean, there was a nice moment between he and Amenadiel where Amenadiel says, she's in heaven. And he's like, you know, don't, and there's a whole goodwill hunting. Not you, man. Don't do not do this to me, man. And there's the little moment there. But then Amenadiel's like, no, she's in heaven. And Dan's like, I don't know why, but I believe you. And then we're like, well, we know why we believe him, but we're glad that you do too. But even he is starting to, you know, he's having another one of those moments where he's just not, he's becoming destructive because he's not doing well. He actually goes out on a bounty. with He teams up with Maze at one point, actually a couple points. And, you know, he's starting to break the rules a little bit. He's starting to get back to rule breaker, Dan. Not quite what we saw in season one. But, you know, certainly a little bit different of a different Dan. And again, whether or not that continues throughout the season, I, I won't spoil that for you. And he's starting to push people away, too, which is also very, very interesting. And, you know, that kind of stuff's going to happen when you when it's hard to deal with 
something that's happened in, in your life that you don't think is fair. So you, you completely understand that. But I mean, I'm again, I'm not going to spoil the season season for you. All I can say is, is that this is a writing team that knows what they have, knows what brought them to the dance and are giving the fans exactly what they want. And even in a short episode order like this with 10 episodes, the pacing felt so good. My only worry in this was coming in. This is not, Lucifer is not used to doing a shortened season like this. So, you know, how do you tell this story in 10 episodes? And, you know, Joe Henderson, Ildri Modrovich, and the writing team just do such a, an amazing job at putting this story together and maintaining their show the way it was before, even with fewer episodes. I mean, it obviously leaves you wanting more if you're a Lucifer fan, but that's the point, isn't it? You got what you wanted. This is exactly, it's one of those things where you save a show like this, you go all out, and you really, really want it to come back and be just as good, if not better, than it was before. And not only did they hear that when this show was saved, they delivered in spades in a hell of a great fourth season for Lucifer. I can't wait for season five. Let's start tweeting about that immediately. Hashtag Lucifer season five. Have to make that happen. Congratulations on another amazing season. I can't wait to watch it again. As a matter of fact, Lucifer season four on Netflix. That'll do it for my spoiler-ish review of season four of Lucifer on Netflix. Up next, going to be talking about the Tolkien movie. Give my spoiler-filled review of that next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Kevin Alejandro from Lucifer Down and Nerdy podcast. Every fellowship needs to start somewhere, and this week I'm giving my spoiler-filled review of Tolkien, and that's one thing I learned from this movie, actually, and all the research that was done. Spoilers from here on out on the Tolkien movie, by the way. I learned that it is Tolkien and not Tolkien. I've said Tolkien my entire life. Apparently, I'm not the only one that's made this mistake. Maybe you've made the mistake as well. And that's what it is. It's Tolkien, according to the research that was done. So I'm going to go ahead and go with Tolkien now for the rest of my life, even though I, I will say Tolkien at some point, I'm sure. But not in this review because I am going to make sure I don't say that. So, of course, this follows the life of J.R.R. Tolkien and from childhood all the way through adulthood. And now, one thing, if you heard my interview last week with director Domi Karukowski, one thing that stood out to me after I listened to the interview again, and this was actually part of the Q&A from the Fathom Events that I uh, screening that I went to, on Tuesday of this past week to to see the movie a little bit early, and that is that this is not a traditional biopic, and that was on purpose. So yes, there were some changes made to the movie from from the actual story of his life, and yes, there the family is not necessarily, they didn't give their stamp of approval on this. And one of the reasons for that, I think, and this is my personal opinion, And that was that, and Dome talked about this with Stephen Colbert at the Montclair Film Festival. He he was talking about how Tolkien didn't actually like biopics. He actually thought the biographies could be kind of boring because real life is boring. So Dome said if someday he meets Tolkien in the great writer's room in the sky, he'll go up to him and ask him, did I make your life more exciting? Did I do a good job? So right off the bat, you're being told here, and if you haven't seen the movie yet, consider this fair warning that this is not 
your traditional biopic by admission. There are things that are embellished a little bit or a lot, depending on what your perspective is and how much of a Tolkien fan that you are. And I think it's in that admission that you have to look at this movie a little bit differently. And while this person's life was fascinating and how he's a person that, that was an orphan, did have a lot of tragic circumstances, and had a group of very, very close friends, and he, he was you know, an orphan and as somebody who went to war and found the love of his life while he was an orphan as well and went through a lot of tragic circumstances and actually did struggle at times, not only with his writing, but with his schooling as well at, at certain times. And, you know, maybe getting into trouble here and there, too. You find out how vibrant his life really could be, even though it was, again, a bit embellished of his life. And and I actually did find it very, very interesting. And you, you feel for him in his early years with what's happening with his mother. And he gets ripped away from the place where he loved. He called home, and he gets ripped away from there. And he moves to a bigger part of town where the church can help support them. And then when his mother dies, and he's thrust into the care of this woman and but is able to go with his brother to a very very prestigious school but it's full of basically rich kids and the rich kids are looking down on the orphan a little bit but then fast forward to the TCBS oh boy that that group you know if you've ever had a group of really close friends that you felt like were your brothers or your sisters, or a mixture of the two, and you could just, you know, you would lay down in traffic for this group. You would do anything for them. That was the TCBS. That is what Tolkien found, and he was very much a loner at first, and yeah, he was picked on, but then he finds this friendship, this, dare I say, fellowship, and you sort of understand why he, he even said that you know, the characters weren't direct adaptations of his friends from from The Lord of the Rings, but you certainly understand where he might have gotten his inspiration from, partially or at least drawn from that. And we know that Edith was a big part of that as well. And we get to see her his relationship with her grow and have a couple of twists and turns in there as well. But for me, this movie always came back to the boys of the TCBS and how they grew up together and inspired each other. And they wanted to change the world through art. That was a thing that stuck out for me a lot because I thought to myself and I was like, how many people actually feel that way? We have a lot of, we have a lot of people that want to create art in this day and age, but do they really want to change the world through art? Like really? And that might seem like a silly thing to say out loud because maybe you feel like that's not possible. But this was a guy and a group of young men actually that felt like that was actually possible. That was their goal. That's what they were going to do. And they had their battle cry and they rallied around each other and inspired each other to do so many wonderful things and to stick together. And it was that brotherhood that I think really drove Tolkien forward. And without them... I don't know where he is. I don't know where we are. Do we get Lord of the Rings? Do we get The Hobbit? Do we get any of these stories that we grew up loving? Maybe not. So to to show how important his friends were to him in his life, especially as someone who lost as much as he did and who, you know, how could you not have abandonment issues to a certain degree as an orphan? We get to see Edith go through that as well. And she feels like, you know, they can't find, they can't be happy 
because they're orphans and they don't deserve that. That is not something that is destined for them. But then life finds a way, doesn't it? And that is the crazy thing about this. We get to see their courtship in the very early years of their courtship, and we get to see how he was inspired by her as well and how this really was the love of his life. If anything, we maybe didn't get to see that enough in this movie. If anything, there the one thing I wish I could have seen was I wanted to see more about his brother. We don't get a whole lot about that in this movie. And maybe it's because that one wasn't necessarily interesting by comparison to some of the other things we get to see in the movie. But I wish we could have gotten a little bit more about his brother. I wish we could have spent just a little bit more time on he and Edith. But I I mean I loved all the scenes with the TCBS boys and that just camaraderie that they had and the mischief that they would get in together and the inspiration that they would have for one another. And another thing that drew me to this movie too was while I was watching it was Tolkien's love for language and creating these languages and how he sort of, you know, changed his direction in schooling based on his love of languages. And again, you you think about that when you hear the the languages created for The Hobbit and for The Lord of the Rings. And it gives you a new understanding. And think about, you know, to love something like language that much and how, you know, word being, words given, being given meanings. And when he was talking to Edith about it, and Edith tells him, you know, a word doesn't have a meaning until a word doesn't mean anything. It's not beautiful until you give it a meaning. And I'm paraphrasing that here. But he takes that to heart. He already had a love of language. And then you multiply that when you hear it put in that context. And what we get are the beautiful languages and stuff that, you know, we speak on a not regular basis necessarily, but, you know, in our circle of friends speak to one another because we love it that much too. So it's, you know, you inspire through art and change the world through art. And that's kind of what he did. And that was one of the basis for that was that love of language. And we get to see him lose his way. We get to see him get that writer's block. And it's not not for very long, but it's quick. But we get to see him go through those struggles and it humanizes him a little bit. And we get to see him in the psalm and how he dealt with war. And again, probably a little bit embellished, but you could see where he would, where he would get his inspirations for places like Mordor and stuff like that, and just the evil of battle itself and being in that moment, even if it was a little bit glorified for this movie, he was still there. And when you see something like that, it changes you. And I, I hope that you and I never have to experience that in our lives, that you can only imagine what seeing something like that in real time with your own eyes would do to a person. And instead of letting that bring him down and destroy him, he turned it into art in a very different form and used that at least partially as an inspiration to tell his stories. And to me, that makes someone absolutely 100% fascinating. Now, was this the greatest movie in the world? Absolutely not. Was it the greatest biopic ever? No. But I will say this. This movie was inspiring. Not in a way that, say, like a dead poet society was inspiring. And, and it's, But it certainly had its moments, and it gives you that idea of who the man was and where he drew his inspiration from and the friendship that he had. It may, When you see the TCBS, at least to me, 
it makes you, if you've never had that in your life, it makes you want to go find it. And I hope that you absolutely do, or you can find it at some point in your life. It also gives me inspiration in that, you know, this is not something that took off for him in his life right away. Just like Stan Lee didn't create Spider-Man until later on in his life. Tolkien took him a while to get things off the ground with Lord of the Rings as well. So when you think about that, if you're at a point in your life where you know you feel like things aren't working for you, you can always find a way to find that inspiration and get something off the ground that you want to get off the ground. There's just a lot of inspirational moments in this movie. If you saw the, if you didn't see this and get inspired, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Lily Collins was absolutely infectious as Edith loved her work. Also, Nicholas Holt, just the range of emotion that he can bring to anything is great. But the way that he had that quick wit about him, too, with Tolkien, and the way he humanizes somebody you might see as an icon in your life for the work that they've done, the way he humanizes that character and shows you the struggles that, he's, that, that he went through, just so, so good. Dominic Kurokoski doing a great job with the direction as well. It's having to take an entire lifespan and fit it into two hours and make it interesting and even do a little bit of creative license as well. I think that, if anything, Dome did what he thought Tolkien would have wanted him to do with the story of his life. And as somebody who grew up idolizing him like Dome did, I think this was a worthwhile tribute for sure. So if you haven't seen it yet, Tolkien in theaters now, go ahead, give it a, give it a look, and let me know what you think of it. Tweet us at the show, at Down and Nerdy 757 because I can't wait to see what you thought of Tolkien. You know, I've been learning a lot more about J.R.R. Tolkien recently, and I realized that I've never read The Silmarillion before. Then I thought, better yet, I could listen to it thanks to Audible. Fire it up on the convenient free app. I can listen on the go and hands-free on my Android device, in the car, or Amazon Fire device. You can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash dnpod or text dnpod to 500-500. Pick any title you want. It's free if you go to audible.com slash dnpod or text DNPOD to 500-500 now. This could be a great time to check out the Game of Thrones books or maybe even something you wouldn't have before. That's the beauty of it being free. Good news is with Audible, if you love it, you own it forever, and you can pick up right where you left off. Even if you don't like something, there's an easy audiobook exchange with credits you can roll over for a year. Explore and expand your fandoms with an unmatched selection of audiobooks and originals. When you're not listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast, you should be listening to what you're reading on Audible. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the Tolkien movie up next. Yeah, you know we've got some nerd news to talk about, so we'll do it on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Turns out that galaxy might not be too far, far away after all. It's time for nerd news, and Disney made a ton of different movie announcements in one of those investor calls that they, they like to do, and Disney just likes to announce things in bunches. So let's talk about some of that now, shall we? New Star Wars movies will be coming from Disney in 2022, 2024, and 2026, so... Yes, we are going to be getting a little bit of a break 
from Star Wars as promised from Kathleen Kennedy not too long ago. Although we will have The Mandalorian to look forward to on Disney Plus a little bit later on this year. But maybe that is technically a break because I think The Mandalorian is really going to be something different and something that I think that Star Wars fans have been waiting for. And that is something that is just a little bit different and, and, and off the wall a little bit that changes the cycle of the Skywalker saga. But I'm not going to get into that again because we've talked about that ad nauseum. What I can also tell you is that, and this is something I was surprised got as much traction as it did on social media, to be honest, and that is the Gambit movie. It's been put out of its misery. It is officially now off the schedule from Disney. And and it seemed like a lot of fans were, were interested in this and upset. And I'm like, where were you guys when this movie was trying to get made in the first place? And it was going through all of these different directors. And people were complaining about Channing Tatum and can he be a good Gambit? Can he get the voice down? Can he get the look down? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, where were these fans when this movie was trying to get made? In the first place, because Disney doesn't just drop things if they think there's a ton of support for it. I mean, they've pushed back the Avatar movie, sure, but there's got to be a good reason for that. They want to put the Disney magic in there, right? So they want to check it out, make sure everything is on the up and up and going to be okay with that before they just go ahead and move forward with it. So if you're concerned about the Avatar movies getting pushed, I wouldn't be because that is absolutely going to be for a reason. But but for this, I mean, let's be honest here. And I'm I'm not trying to poke at any fans that really wanted to see this, but this was a long shot at best. This was Fox saying, you know what, let's make a thousand Marvel movies because they're popular. And, and I mean, you saw what happened with stuff like Fantastic Four when they tried to do that, right? And even some of the X-Men movies recently haven't been all that great, although I have a lot of hope for Dark Phoenix because I've seen a little bit of that movie now, and I think that it looks pretty darn good from what I've seen so far. But this Gambit movie, it was always going to be a little bit of a gamble, wasn't it? I mean, really, it didn't matter who was going to put it out. And this is one of those things where Disney's probably going, yeah, we might like Gambit, but his own movie? Come on. And, And I was always a big Gambit fan, from the X-Men animated series, but at the same time, I'm thinking, this guy leading his own movie? I don't know. And I realize we didn't get enough from the character, just a little Taylor Kitsch's little performance in Wolverine Origins there. So so I get that we haven't really gotten a good Gambit so far, and I'm not saying don't use Gambit. I mean, if you want to bring the X-Men into the MCU, I think Gambit should be a part of that this time around. But his own movie? Come on, let's 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 be real here. And New Mutants still has life. Gambit doesn't, but New Mutants gets kicked once again. This time to April 2020. It just seems like it's only a matter of time before we find out that this movie is being moved again. But they're saying theatrical release. I would not at all be surprised if New Mutants comes out on Disney Plus in 2020 instead of in theaters. And and quite frankly, what's wrong with that? You know, as long as we get to see it, I'm not sure what difference it makes. And I get the you want to see it on the big screen sort of thing, but, you know, your TV at home is pretty darn good too. I'm not going to tell you not to go to movies, and I'm certainly not getting into this debate right now because there's certainly a certain respect of, well, can you watch movies just as good as at home as you can in the movie theater? Do you like the theater experience? Not getting into that right now. All I'm saying is is that, again, this is one of those projects that's going to be different, and it's a little out there, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but Disney doesn't necessarily want to take as many risks with their money unless they really, really have to. 
And again, this was not done on their watch. That's the other problem. Reshoots have already been done too. And, and I don't see Disney pouring any more money into reshoots for new mutants either. So it's done. It is what it is. It'll just, I'll be curious to see exactly how they, they end up putting this movie out when it eventually does come out. I'm still going to go with if I can't be certain that this is actually going to happen. As a matter of fact, they're scaling back production on Fox films anyway. So they're going to be very selective with those projects that were at least still in the pipeline before their purchase was complete. Now, we do have eight untitled Marvel Marvel movies that were announced. You're not going to say when any of them are right now if, you, if you're Disney and Marvel Studios, right? It's just before Far From Home, it doesn't make any sense. But let's speculate on at least some of them, shall we? So we know we've got Black Panther 2 is going to be coming. You're going to have Captain Marvel 2. You're going to have another Doctor Strange movie, so we're already up to three. I'm thinking the Black Widow movie has got to be one of them, so that's four. You've also got another Ant-Man movie that's going to be happening. That's five. You've got clearly Asgardians of the Galaxy at this point, right? After what Thor said at the end of Endgame. So that's six. So that leaves us with two. Now, are those X-Men movies or are they not? Is that Fantastic Four? Or is it not? There are certainly a few different things that you could do with those final two movies. So I will leave you to go ahead and speculate on that and send in your suggestions at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Or if you're listening on SoundCloud, just go ahead and throw a comment on there. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Let's move on, though, to talk about the first real teaser for the Watchmen series that's going to be coming to HBO in the fall. And, you know, a lot of fans have already said this already. This seems like it's going to be a perfect replacement for Game of Thrones. It's a little bit different, but it's still got a little bit of that team vibe. We're still talking about the end of the world here, and TikTok, TikTok is still rattling around in my brain right now. Clearly, Warshak made an impression on a good amount of people, didn't he? Because we have these Warshak followers who seem like they're going to be raising a lot of hell. And, you know, maybe leading to the end of the world as we know it, as a matter of fact, too. And, you know, it just the the whole vibe of this thing just feels really there's something really, really right about this, isn't there? And then, you, I mean, you've got Regina King involved in this. You see Don Johnson, Jeremy Irons. So, you, you know, this thing is going to be taking place a little bit in the future from what was set in the comics and in the graphic novel. So, again, there's fans saying, you know, this feels different. I hope it's I hope it's good different. But it feels like it, doesn't it? There's just something that feels really, really right about this. And all of the performances just seem so gritty and dark. And that's what DC does, but not in a way that the movies are. This one just feels like it's different. It's an end-of-the-world story that actually feels like it might lead to the end of the world, even though we're only in season one. But there's just, there's de- there are definitely different directions that you can take this in. And I hope that tonally what we got from this teaser, and it's not a lot, so we can't even really go into exactly what we're going to be getting here. But we don't even see a whole lot of action, and I already feel like I'm mesmerized with this whole thing. And then I'm locked in. So I'm really looking forward to see exactly what HBO is going to be doing with Watchmen coming up this fall. And, you know, people said that Westworld was the perfect replacement for Game of Thrones. I think it's going to be this. I think it's going to be Watchmen. And I think that this is going to have fans clamoring for more DC shows 
on HBO, but I think that DC is picking their spots pretty well for the properties that they want to put and where they want to put them. Speaking of DC, they announced something pretty great, actually, coming up from DC Animation and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment and DC Entertainment. How about this? DC Showcase is coming back. Remember that? It was, what, like 2011 or something like that, or 2010, when we got, like, the Jonah Hex animated stuff. We got the Superman Shazam team up that had Black Adam in and a couple of others as well. Well, they're going to be doing that again, but this time it's actually going to be five animated shorts that are going to release as extras on DC Universe movies. The first one actually is going to be attached to Batman Hush, Hush, excuse me, and it's going to be Sergeant Rock. So it's like, okay, that's the first one you're going to give me. I love that. By the way, Carl Urban's going to be involved in that too, and Bruce Tim, and I mean, come on, that's just, and we're going to be talking about World War II, and yeah, I know that maybe that's played out a little bit, but I mean, Nazi zombies, come on, if you love zombies, that should be right up your alley, and then if that's not all, we're going to have Adam Strange, which is going to be at least in part written by J.M. DeMatteis, and that's going to be dealing with Adam Strange on an asteroid mining colony. And there's just going to be some stuff going on there as well. And we've also got Neil Gaiman's death from the Sandman lore. And Sam Liu's going to be a part of that. And again, J.M.D. Mateus going to be a part of that one as well. And you want him writing something like a Neil Gaiman story, right? And that's going to be the story of Vincent, an artist with an unresolved inner demons that meets a mysterious girl who helps him come to terms with his creative legacy, which just sounds neat. Doesn't it? Here's the one that I'm excited for, just because I'm a fan of the character. How about the Phantom Stranger getting his own story with Bruce Tim at the helm there as well, which is going to be set in the 1970s, which is exactly where you want the Phantom Stranger to be too. You're not not quite noir, but a little bit right there. And we've got the voice of the we've got the Tick that's going to be the voice of of the Phantom Stranger and Peter Serafinowicz. So, I mean, that's certainly going to be unique. And the final one, we've got Batman, Death in the Family. We won't get more details on that, though, until 2020. I feel like I need to mention again just how much of a role that DC Animation and DC Entertainment with Warner Brothers has been on lately with these movies. And now what you're doing is you're making the extras even that much more interesting. Remember when Marvel did those shorts in the MCU movies for the extras there, DC is going to be bringing back DC Showcase, something that they already did, and they're going to be making it even better in animation, I think. And, and now that things have stepped up for DC Animation, and they've had some a lot, not just some success, a lot of success in these movies, it opens up the floodgates of possibilities. And these are characters that might not have gotten a, a movie of their own in a million years, like Phantom Stranger. Come on. You're not going to give the Phantom Stranger his own movie unless maybe the short's super popular and that makes DC go, huh, maybe we should do something with this character. Maybe we should feature Adam Strange more. And I mean, this gives me an opportunity. Maybe we get a Doctor Fate animated short at some point. Maybe we get Red Hood and the Outlaws. I mean, take your pick. You find a DC character that you love that you think might not get their own movie. This is the opportunity to do something like that. And this is all going to be released in an extended version, by the way, in 2020 as well. All of these together. So a lot to look forward to in DC animation already. And this just adds to that for me. I'm so stoked for this. 
And finally, and the only reason I'm talking about this now here at the end is because it kind of happened at the end of the week, and that is that Netflix has signed a first look deal with Dark Horse Comics slash Dark Horse Entertainment. And that kind of just means exactly what you think it would mean. They get the first look at any new movie and TV possibilities from Dark Horse IP properties that they might have. Now, no specific word as of me recording this is if that affects any current projects that might be in development. Like, you know, Harrow County's been in development now for a while. I know Briggsland had to deal with, I believe, AMC to bring that to series. So there's no official word on whether or not it affects those current deals. But after the success of Umbrella Academy, you had to figure that this is something that Netflix might consider, right? I mean, that was such a huge success for them. It just happens to be a darn good story, too, by the way. And Dark Horse, really, it, they have a vast catalog of different stories. They, they do horror comics very well. They certainly do supernatural comics very well. I mean, Black Hammer alone, I think that would be amazing on Netflix if that were to happen. It just seems like that is in Netflix's wheelhouse for sure. Of course, I'm looking for Harold Kennedy to come back. I mean, Briggs Land would be another one. Sword Daughter, I know it's another Brian Wood story, but still, I think that would work really well. That's just the thing with Dark Horse. Take your pick. I mean, there's so many good ones that you could choose from. And and why would you not be excited about this if you're a Dark Horse fan and if you're a Netflix fan? This is, I know I said this about the Millar World deal, deal, and I still feel that way. But this one really feels like could be the thing where they go, all right, well, we don't need Marvel anymore because we've got this. And I know the Millar World stories are also great, and there's a ton of good ones there, and they're creating some really neat new stuff with them, but this is a, now you've got a really big back catalog of stuff that if you wanted to go back and do, you would absolutely have that option. I mean, go to our website alone and just Google at downandnerdypodcast.com. Search our site for Dark Horse comic book reviews that we've done. There's been a ton of good ones on there. There's been a lot of great books that have come out, and not and not only that, they, they continue to come out from Dark Horse as well. They've got a lot of good stories there. They know what they're doing. This is kind of a perfect match for the two, having Dark Horse and Netflix partnered together. And I think that there's so many great stories that can come from this, and I can't wait to see. They say that they're already working on future projects, you know, considering some possibilities. I wouldn't be surprised if by Comic-Con we have some sort of an announcement about what is going to be the first property that Netflix will do after Umbrella Academy with Dark Horse. And, and I mean, it's a shot in the dark, man. You don't know what the next one's going to be necessarily. I mean, Black Hammer certainly seems like that would be the next one. But you can't say that for sure, right? It just seems like the next logical choice based on how popular it is and how well it's done with Jeff Lemire and company. But you don't know for sure. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's one. But I mean, take your pick. There's so many, even in the back catalog, that they could choose from. I'm excited to see all the great things that are going to come from Netflix and Dark Horse. And I think Dark Horse is going to stick around for a while with Netflix, don't you? I, I just really think that's going to be a good partnership. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, we're going to be talking to the cast and producers of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. about Season 6. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Season 6 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is finally here on ABC and got to talk to the cast and producers at WonderCon this past year. Started off, by the way, with Jeff Loeb and Natalia Cordova-Buckley. And the first question was, what kind of story arc would you want for Yo-Yo and how do you feel about her arc so far? I love the arc. I mean, season 5 to me was one of the most special challenges I've had as an actor. Having the arms cut off, getting to act with yourself. Season 5 was just really outstanding for me so I don't even like to think of those things as an actor because the surprise of knowing where if you trust your producers and your direct and your uh, writers where they are going to take you it's sort of a wonderful thing that you don't get to have your hand in that cookie jar you know that you just get to come like from bring your character from whatever they, they, they bring forth you know so yeah I don't think I don't think I would be pushed. I mean, I don't know. Now, my question to the both of them was, how are things going now that Mac is in charge, and has this kind of been the plan for a while? How are things going to go now that Mac's kind of in charge of everything? Well, clearly they're not going well. For <laughs> um, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, I I love the. You'll you guys will watch it. I can't say much, but. Um, the transition that Matt goes through is something that I really enjoyed watching as a Henry's friend because getting that position as director changes the character a lot. You know, you have to go through a whole thing of wanting to be the best and having, you know, not Colson around changes everything for him too. So it's going to be a challenge for all. It's, it's going to be, I think, great to watch, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. have a new director and watch how we all kind of respond to that, how it changes things around. And, yeah. From your perspective, it seems like this almost seems like a long time coming. It seems like this was almost going to happen from at least a certain point a couple from a couple seasons ago. He was Alfonso McKenzie mechanic. That's yeah, who he was. No. We brought him on the show to be the guy who was going to fix things. And there uh, he is. And it's a combination of of character and, and actor. You, yeah, you, I agree. What happens is is that you hire someone and you try a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more and then suddenly, you know, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't immediately occur to you that that you know Yo-Yo and, and Mac are, are going to be a couple, and, and how is that going to work? And that happens when you start watching them work together and go, that's interesting. And again, getting back to what I just said, which is if story creates more story, make follow that, chase that. Um, and it was really clear to us that leaving Henry in the in the basement with with a bunch of tools was not going to be the best use of his time. Next up was Ian DeCasticker, who of course plays Fitz, and then Deke, played by Jeff Ward. And the first question for the guys was, what's in store for your characters in Season 6? I don't know how much I can give away, but I, th- I think we can talk about the first episode. Like, yeah, yeah. The, I think they alluded to it at the end of last season as well, of like, theoretically there's two, there would be another Fitz in yeah. space. So I think they're playing on that idea, but you know, also the idea that having changed the the um, course of t- you know timeline, timeline, timeline. Yes. timeline. Good. See, we're all working as a group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as um, as the uh, yes, yeah, so there would effectively be two, but 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 things would have would now there would be. Does that mean that there'll be a new timeline for that? You know that version of Fitz in space and also that's a version of Fitz before season you know right at the start right. of so that means five. you're not married right yeah I suppose, yeah I suppose you could technically look at it like that 
Next up, executive producers Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancherian. And the question for them was, you know, with the season, you know, usually broken up into like eight episode pods, how do you make the next pod even better than the last one throughout the season? Well, we have, a, uh, you know, I can't say enough about the brains we have around us. We have a really good staff of writers. Uh, you know, we get to, stick, to sit on stage and we get to, you know, wave and take credit. Um, <laughs> But, you know, a lot of your favorite stuff was, was those people just Born sitting in a room, room trying to impress yeah. each other, trying to make each other laugh. And so at the end of every year we say, okay, what have we not done? You know, how, what have we not done? You know, we haven't done space. All right, let's try that. You know, and so uh, that we're trying to cover new ground and we, and we reinvent the show a little every year. And, and uh, you know, but I, I would have to say that a lot of credit has to go to those brains who sit, they sit in a room all day and just trying to think of stuff they want to see. Um, they don't get enough credit, and probably because we don't say this that we're saying right now <laughs> enough times, we just go, oh, you know. Thank you, thank yeah, you. Thank you, thank you. Because we're a smaller order, we, we aren't naming our pods like we've done in the past. You know, we use that that concept to break up story for us in the writer's room. And you'll feel it if you watch there'll be more of a shift and stuff like that but uh, truthfully it's just been helpful in the creative process and the fact that, that it works for the audience right you can sort of cut it in half which gives yeah. us two pods or however we want to think of it but it helps us it's, it's easier to yeah. you know yeah. Um, yeah. so we uh, we've been enjoying that it's, it's, it's added a little bit of pep to our step I think in terms of generating story it was great to sit down with a director and another director. First, Henry Simmons, of course, plays Mac and Clark Gregg, who is the Phil Coulson. And Henry was the first to sit down, actually. And my question to him was, you know, how does it feel to be the director? So, uh, Mr. Director, uh, <laughs> <laughs> It feels great. It feels great. Let me tell you, uh, the one thing I, I'm so honored by the fact that they, you know, the, the writers gave me that opportunity. Uh, I, I really, I mean... Jeff Loeb was telling me, I think in cinema and and television, there have only been four directors. Mm -hmm. Can you name them? Other than Fury? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, I think it's Peggy Carter, right? Yeah, Peggy Carter. Peggy Carter. Fury. Fury. Uh, Colson. Colson. And, and you? Then, uh, Mace. No, Mace. no, no, Mace. Mace. Yeah. Mace. In the other. Yeah, but that wasn't that. No, was no in that wasn't the. No, it wasn't. wasn't it was, yeah, it was this one, but he actually. Oh, he oh, has, he oh, was really. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, wait, what was it? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Still, make it I mean, we make it I thought they would give it to uh, Daisy. And then, uh, you know, I was reading, I, like, they gave it to Daisy. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, she was like, no, I think Max should. And then everyone voted. I was surprised. I was really surprised. Really? Because I kind of felt it in season four, even, that that was eventually going to happen. Well, that here's the thing. I'm not saying I, I know I can do it. That, that's <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. I know I can handle it. You know, that, that's no problem. But I just didn't think that they would give right. me that opportunity. No, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. Honestly, it's it's like no. I mean, it, and it's I tell you, and from an actor's point of view, I like it. I like the fact that uh, you have that responsibility, and uh, I I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. The next question for Henry Simmons was, "What will the greatest struggle for Mac be this season?" And that at some point is when Clark Gregg decided to sit down and join the party. I think the greatest struggle is separating. 
separating the responsibilities of being a director and doing what is best for S.H.I.E.L.D. and saving the world and uh, personal relationships, not having personal relationships infect my... You just, my hey, what? from one director to another, how about that? So you no, 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 have a seat. And not having <laughs> personal relationships affect... And what did you say, you did better than this guy? <laughs> Everything. Did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, 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 that's the toughest thing. And so they're having up be, to the. Yeah. <laughs> filling the shoes of Colson. So now the first question, question to Clark was how do you get into playing a character this season that is very much not Phil Colson? Uh, it was really, it was really confusing. Uh, I'm, there's versions, a lot of versions of Colson and a lot of. But they all feel comfortable to me. And this did not feel comfortable. This is it's very, very different what's going on here. You got a little bit of a hint when he gets out of his truck and blows away a shield agent and yeah. says, never heard of it. And then it, things get dark from there. So I felt really out of balance. And, and yet that's kind of exciting. My question, well, it was more of a statement for them was, you know that scene in Captain Marvel where Coulson lets them go in the stairwell? I kind of talk about how Coulson might be responsible for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if he doesn't let them go, none, none of this happens. If you want to think about it. If he doesn't let... If he doesn't let... In the stairway. Yeah. If he doesn't you know, let I never them go, really thought about that. None of this happens. <laughs> now that you it. say that? <laughs> it's a pretty wow. big moment. Max Neverborn. We're like, wow. Max Neverborn. Like five seconds. Wait, what? He's right? a bad mechanic, some garage. Wow. Fury never pages Captain Marvel. Right. So, yeah. None of this happens. So There's no endgame. Doesn't nothing. happen. Yeah, we're dead. Everyone's dead. You're so well done. Life. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, world. The next question for the guys was, how do you approach each new arc that you get throughout the season? I think what you have to do is be, uh, as an actor, be as specific as possible in the story that you are in. You have to just. Be in the moment, honestly, because I mean, there's so much going. I mean, I, I don't know how y'all keep up with that. Because I mean, even me, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? I mean, uh, but yeah, you have to just be in the moment, be specific, and try to be as truthful as possible. Uh, but eventually, those paws come together. And that's when you're like, okay, all right. Wait, what were you doing in episode two? I mean, it, it, it gets hard. It gets difficult. So you kind of, you still have to be aware of everyone else. Finally, it was time for Elizabeth Henstridge to sit down. Of course, plays Simmons and executive producer Jeff Bell. And the first question was was to Elizabeth, kind of talking about the extreme length she's going to be going to in season six to get Fitz back. Yeah, she's just, uh, she's determined to find him. And she knows the odds are kind of stacked against her, but she uh, isn't letting doubt creep in. I think we see a little bit when she goes into the pod that she's kind of, you know, was he dragged, you know, there's blood in there, is this, I think she thought before she opened it that this is it, he's going to be in there and it's fine and he's still frozen. So, um, yeah, we saw a bit of doubt then, but for the most part she's just a woman on a mission. And uh, it's so fun to play because, you know, I wouldn't say that she's mean, but she doesn't think about other people's feelings, which, um, you know, it's kind of nice not to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay.
And given that answer, my question to her was, you know, is it crazy to think how much your character has actually evolved since season one? Is it kind of crazy for you to sit back and think how much your character has evolved from season one to now? Because, I mean, so maybe far. more than anybody else's in a certain way. It's really, it, it's, it, I feel so lucky and it's, you know, just grateful that that stuff is written because, you know, as an actor, I never thought I would be in the same character for this long. And I have never once felt, oh, I've done this before or, oh, I don't feel challenged by this or it's just... I'm so along for the ride, and it's been such a lovely, um, yeah, just everything has been cha challenging. I don't feel like it's the same, obviously parts of the same character, but it feels like I've got to play a lot of different roles, which is, um, yeah, really nice. Final question went to Jeff Bell, and that was, how do you write Coulson now that he is, you know, the way he is now? That was the <laughs> longest, most complicated conversation we had last year and it, it lasted all year and and because we really didn't want to buy back his death and make it meaningless we wanted to bring him back in a way that people would go I think this is cool but it's not because you know, people would be mad that Colson's gone they're just going to be mad about that so how I'm can mad we about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sad about that yeah. but, but how can we do that so that Clark has number one on the call sheet is engaged as an actor, that the other characters have to deal with him in a, in a super powerful, I mean, okay, guy's dead, somebody who shows up, just looks just like him, shows up, but does something terrible, is he a bad guy, is he, what, you know, there's just all these great questions, and so that's a lot of good juice for our, our characters to have to deal with over the course of the season, hopefully the the fans will like it as much as we do. I gotta say, I can't remember the last time I looked forward to a season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. more than I've looked forward to this one, especially after the way season five ended, probably one of the strongest endings that they have ever had in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to get you anticipating the next season. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they have in store for us, and that will start, of course, as it does every Friday night, on ABC, including this one, by the way, if you're listening to the show on Friday night, 8 o'clock on ABC, you're not going to want to miss any episodes this season, I have a feeling, of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Marvel TV and everyone for letting me sit down with the cast of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this year at WonderCon. As a matter of fact, if you want more of our coverage from WonderCon, other interviews, stuff like that, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can always find out what we're doing on social media as well, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't forget to check out Audible and go to audible.com slash dnpod to get your free 30-day trial, your first audiobook, and two Audible Originals are free. You're not going to want to miss out on that either. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.